Hey, birthday bunnies. You're listening to That Slayer Show. My name is Madeline Kane. And I'm Kate Schroeder. This is season two, episode 13, Surprise. And we're watching through the theme of celebration. <laughs> In that same vein, let us celebrate a review that someone left us. The review we would like to read this week is written by a writer's writer titled The Gold Standard of Buffy Podcasts. Simply put, this podcast is top shelf Buffy content. Madeline and Keita are incredibly insightful, energetic, and entertaining hosts whose easygoing chemistry makes you feel like you're listening in on two best friends discussing their favorite show, which you are. The segments are really interesting and well thought out, and every time I finish listening to an episode, I always find myself saying, yo, I never realized that Buffy is so layered. Clap hands emoji, five stars, and bravo! Or as we in the culinary industry like to say, compliments to the chefs. I don't know what the writer's doing in the culinary industry, but thanks for the review. Thank you. Wow, Madeline, this is the episode where everything happens. Oh my gosh, it is chock full. I am nervous for this one minute recap. So what's awaiting the listeners in this episode, Madeline? First, we will do a one minute recap where we quickly and concisely discuss everything that happened in the episode, leaving sparing no detail. Then we will get into the theme of celebration this week, where we will talk about where we saw celebration in this episode. Then we will talk about what we liked and disliked. And then at the end, Kate and I will give advice to one of the characters that we feel needs it. OK, Madeline, uh, shall I count you in for this one minute recap? Please do. Three two, one, recap. Buffy has a dream that Angel gets killed by Drusilla. Right. And then Buffy and Will are talking about Buffy having sex with Angel. And Angel, I mean, and Willow and Xander and the gang are planning a surprise party for Buffy because it's Buffy's 17th birthday. Right. And Spike and Drew are also planning a party. Yes. And then um, at school, Jenny Calendar gets a visit from like her um, Romani uncle person who is like, your job is to make sure that Angel doesn't get happy so that the curse isn't broken. Right, and then they're going to the party, and they find some vamps, and Buffy like kills them, and they grab a box from the vamps. In the box is an arm from the judge, and the judge is this like demon who's going to bring about Armageddon that Drusilla is trying to assemble. Right, and then they're like, Angel has to take this far away, and then he's going to leave, and Buffy's really sad, and kiss, kiss, kiss. And then as they're, as Angel is trying to leave, like vamps come in and then take the arm away, um, and then bring it back to Drusilla, who assembles the judge. Right, and then back in the library, they're all doing research, and then Buffy and Angel are like, we got to go check it out. Yeah, and then they get captured by the judge as they're going to spy on him, and then um, Angel like gets them away, and then they go back to Buffy Angel's apartment and has sex. <laughs> Madeline, is it just me, or was that the best recap ever it was good i do like yes we were on it we were quick i loved that for us the only thing that i have to add to this recap is that angel loses his soul because he experienced true happiness god i can't wait to get into that real quick anything else we should go over we could mention that Oz finds out that Buffy is a vampire slayer and that everyone in the gang is part of this club that deals with that <laughs> Right. We could maybe go a little bit more into the fact that Miss Calendar knows about the curse on Angel, that she's from the tribe that placed the curse on him, and that she knows what will cause the curse to be lifted. In addition, it is her duty, the reason she was sent to Sunnydale, or the reason that she is in Sunnydale, is to ensure that Angel does not reach true happiness. So she is trying 
to separate Buffy and Angel, which is why she encourages him to leave to take the arm of the judge far away on a several month long journey, which, of course, doesn't happen because the arm gets stolen back by the vampires. Also, Oz. uh, Oh, we talked about him. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's lots of cute stuff. Cutie. Oz is a cutie. (laughs) Oh, you know what? We'll get to that in likes. Okay. Well, I guess we ought to get into the theme. I think, though, this might be sort of a theme conversation plus a broader conversation about everything that happened since it was so much. What do you think? So much happened in this episode. I think it'll be really hard to keep us grounded in the theme of celebration only because there's so much to discuss, so many angles to look at this episode, so many vantage points from which to look at this episode. (laughs) So where do you want to start, Keita? You know what? Let's... uh... Let's talk about Drew's party. Okay. She's having this big party. She doesn't say specifically why, but I think I like it's to celebrate her getting well. No, I think it, my understanding is that it is to celebrate the assimilation of the judge who in her mind is going to bring about Armageddon because he can like eviscerate people with his eyeballs who are human, leaving only the demons to rule the world. Oh, that sure. is my understanding of why she, the party is happening. I think. I think. Okay. I was, I sort of saw it as like she's uh, celebrating getting well. And part of that is this present of the assemblage of the judge. Oh, yeah. Maybe. I think that mm, tracks. I think those probably go hand in hand. Yeah. So this celebration was funny. It felt very middle school dancey to me. You know, we got the punch bowl. We got like kind of awkward music playing in the background, like one or two people dancing. Most people standing around, like not super densely populated. (laughs) Right. Right. General discomfort permeating, which in a way feels it seems like she must be good at giving parties, but this doesn't seem to be it. And she doesn't seem to be aware that it's not a great vibe. She's the one dancing. And I love that for her, (laughs) that she can like lose herself in her own party without being super concerned about the quality of the party. Like, I can't do that. I am so concerned. If I throw a party, that's like why I don't like throwing parties, because I get so nervous that people won't have a good time. Exactly. So go, Drew. And it is kind of nice to see to see her celebrating as much as she's going to wreak havoc everywhere, it is kind of cool to see her at her peak with all this power and strength and whew, chilling. And we get the contrast of Spike now being in a wheelchair. So like there's this reversal of before Spike was taking care of Drew. Now Drew is taking care of Spike. Okay, should we continue with where we saw celebration and then see where mm-hmm. the conversation evolves from there? I would like to do that. Where's another spot where you saw celebration, Madeline? There's the obvious celebration of Buffy's surprise party, but I actually want to go into a smaller, very small moment that I don't... This might be a stretch that it even constitutes a celebration, but there's a moment between Buffy and Willow at the beginning of the episode when she is explaining to Willow that she thinks she might be ready or wanting to have sex with Angel. And Willow just says like, wow, wow. And she she's a little hard to read, but I think the vibe is that she's happy for her friend and it's like she's processing it. She says, wow, I think three times Willow does. And watching through the theme of celebration, it made me wonder, is this 
a little tiny mini celebration, like a, a moment allowing herself to like revel in the joy for her friend. These tiny moments of celebration are so important in Buffy because they so rarely have a chance to like be happy for what they've done because like bad things are constantly happening. Yeah. So like these few seconds that Willow takes to just be like, wow, you know, for her friend, it feels like a celebration and taking a moment that I think these are the kind of moments that get us through hard times, you know, and just taking a few seconds to reflect and be like, yes, this is, I'm like very happy for you. Right. To express sort of your awe at this experience your friend is about to have without any sort of, you know, jealousy or when is it going to happen to me? Mm-hmm. You know, the following scene, Buffy's like, what do you think about Oz? Any spark? And it's on such a different level, but there's no comparison there. Right. Like the scene preceding that where Willow just sort of is like processing and she's excited for Buffy. Yeah, I think it is a, ce- a celebration in a way. It's like, cool, you get to have this thing and it'll be special. Yeah. Uh, I am constantly in awe of Willow's just beautiful demonstration of what friendship can look like and should look like and being supportive. I am really inspired by that. Any other moments of celebration that you wanted to talk about? So Buffy's surprise party doesn't really happen, (laughs) but what I liked about that whole situation is... Giles being completely surprising to everyone and saying, no, Buffy is going to have a party. We are going through with this. We never know when she's going to get to relax and have fun. And she's only turning 17 once. We're going to do this. And I like that he, unlike his normal self, is really putting his foot down. He's like, no, we are going to celebrate. And I think that's important, too, because they just found out this like earth shattering, literally news about Drusilla being alive. And I like that he recognizes the importance of also celebrating because it's tiring to never celebrate and to always be striving. Yeah, you know, Giles is not very good at allowing Buffy moments of celebration or relaxation. And I wonder if that's one of the beauties of birthdays. Giles, while he maybe can't like give Buffy lots of moments in the day to day life, but like when we have a scheduled day that's meant for someone, he's honoring that. And he's like, we need to make sure that Buffy gets to celebrate her birthday today. And it it makes me kind of appreciate the importance of birthdays a little bit, because like if you have trouble taking those moments for yourself or like in Giles case, he to some degree has trouble letting Buffy have those moments and the fact that it's her birthday really seems like that's what's making him prioritize her mental health in a way that he normally doesn't. A sort of backhanded compliment. A little backhanded compliment, yeah. (laughs) But I, I think that it's like, to me, sometimes birthdays or holidays can feel a little superfluous. Arbitrary. Yeah. But it's like, oh no, there is value in them. I think you're absolutely right because you know, Buffy just sort of fought these vamps and grabbed this box thing. And it definitely seems like Spike and Drusilla are back. And yet she still is able to have a little moment of celebration when she sees that her friends have all gathered to do this thing. And it doesn't matter whether or not the party happens for Buffy. It just mattered that they all showed up and they were going to celebrate her. And Mm -hmm. I think I really appreciated that in the midst of all the chaos, we got to see Buffy be really touched. 
are you interested in what if we just yeah what if we loosened up our restrictions on our conversation and just like kind of talked about the episode and see where it goes okay let's let's do that because there's something i'm very interested in please when the judge shows up we of course have been talking throughout this season what does it mean to be vampire what does it mean to be human what are the conditions for humanity what are conditions for treating vampires with the treatment we treat humans and this episode something really interesting happened the judge tells spike and drusilla that they reek of humanity because they share affection and jealousy and spike is like what of it (laughs) yeah he was like yeah what of it (laughs) So it's just, ah, because what this implies is that they don't need mm, a curse to reach and achieve something closer to humanity. They've done that for themselves as vampires, as demons. It's emphasizing that there is not a very delineated boundary between humanity and vampires. Like vampires can be steeped in elements of humanity. Obviously, humans can also like be evil. Right. The judge just really hit the nail on the head with that. That's so interesting. What did he say? It was, you share affection and jealousy. Affection and jealousy. So interesting to choose the word jealousy. Because that's like such a, that's like an emotion that I hate. And that's interesting that he is kind of defining jealousy as a human human thing. And like integral to being a human. And that's something that non-humans shouldn't experience. And I like how he used that one because that's something we've seen in Spike recently as regards to Drew's and Angel's past. Mm -hmm. It really is a direct contradiction to, I think, the mentality that Buffy and the gang take in regards to fighting evil. This is like like the ultra black and white version of reality that Buffy sometimes seems to adopt really what the judge is judging is whether or not people are human mm-hmm. which is, so it's like so the question is now what does it mean to be a human <sighs> which is a huge question to just pop open in the middle of the season oh my god right and it puts drew and spike in danger because he like could kill them because they're like blurring the lines between demonhood and humanity right which is something that i think spike picks up on and drew doesn't seem to Mm -hmm. i think spike is a lot more concerned about them having been accused of humanity than drew is i also so just taking a step away from the judge back to the sex (laughs) I think what I, I want to discuss is like the way Buffy was acting. So I think we try to not discuss the writing unless like it feels, you know, we, we try to sparingly talk about the choices made by the writers or like ways things were important for plot development. And instead, we generally try to like look at what it means inside of itself, you know, but this, especially in light of all of this information about Joss Whedon and people coming forward about like the toxic work environment, especially women are coming forward. And what I noticed about this scene is like, you know, Buffy is like changing, but she doesn't ever like take off her shirt. She's all of a sudden feeling very like acting very coy and shy. I feel like that's not typical for her. Like she wears tank tops often and it's not like a big deal to like take off your sweater. I mean, I know her top was wet, but like I think to me it read as like trying to 
signal to the audience that like Buffy's not a slut. It felt like the undertone was like it would be shameful for her to just like want to have sex with this person. But then there's like a tone shift midway through. Angel says he loves her and then it's clear that Buffy is like down to fuck. I'm put off by like the coyness at the beginning because I felt like what's the point of that? I didn't feel like it was super in line with her personality that we've seen so far. And like this is Angel, someone who she trusts. Similarly almost. Well, related only in that it has to do with sex. Um, (laughs) I'm really interested in this concept of what it means for Angel to be punished. Jenny's relation comes and is like, you're not doing enough. This thing is happening. He's going to be happy. There are all these weird implications. I'm not loving that like sex is the thing that brings Angel true happiness and like the implications of that. It feels kind of like it undermines the extent of the love he might have felt for Buffy. Like, did that not like why would there are so many other points, you know, where he acknowledges the love he feels for Buffy Right, like, why are we calling the sex the climax of their relationship? It just feels like a little... (sighs) Arbitrary, arcane, medieval. Yeah, especially, like, with the gender aspect. Yeah. Like, would they ever have a woman's true moment of happiness be after she fucks? Like, would this show ever do that? Oh, my God. No, the show would never do that. Like, who have we seen be sexual? Miss Calendar. Who is now evil, we find out. I mean, not evil, but like now she's like a more complicated character, actually, which is good. I mean, like, I'm happy that the show has made her more complicated, but she's been sexual. The other people who've been sexual have been like villains. Oh, yeah. You know, here's Buffy being sexual. You know, I mean, we've seen her like make out, but this is like her being sexual for real, like having sex. I mean, then Angel turns evil, you know? Yeah. There's like a huge consequence. Should we maybe ink ourselves in the rubric of a like? Let's do it. Madeline, anything you liked? Oh, actually, the likes that I have written down are the same that we talked about. I I wrote down Drew is healthy, heart. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of cool. Like we said, this little bit of a role reversal, seeing Drew now being caring for Spike. But I also liked they're both, you know, Spike is now in a wheelchair recovering and drew is at her full physical strength but you know she still has a near breakdown because of the flowers and i did like seeing spike still be the one that knows how to avert that and how to be like no we'll do something different then it's it's okay and i i don't know i thought it was sweet and it shows the level of connection that they have yeah, and I think it's interesting that although Spike is the one in the wheelchair, he's still emotionally caretaking for yeah. Drusilla. What did you like, Keita? The first 15 minutes of the show. Tell me more. <laughs> I just really loved the scene we get to see between Buffy and Willow. You know, when Buffy is sort of like, what do I do? And Willow's response is, what do you want to do? And I think that's a really beautiful way to be like, okay, there's a lot going on right now, but like, let's start from what you want. Willow is constantly making space for Buffy to express what she wants, despite Buffy's not really having a lot of choice in her destiny. How did we how did we feel about Angel giving away the fact that maybe he watches Buffy sleep at night? Like, do we really trust Angel's word when he says he just knows she's been tossing and turning because she told him about her dreams? Because I bet she didn't say I tossed and turned during my dream. I bet he for sure watches her sleep. What else could he possibly do? I like how he said it and everyone in the room like 
looked at him, which is exactly the right move. Well, actually, that's so funny that you read it that way because I read it as like another... I thought that it was almost like signaling that like it would... Imagine if they were sleeping together at night. If a person in a couple is like, oh, this person is having trouble sleeping, the like assumption is like, oh, yeah, because you sleep together and that's normal. Right. I forgot that that's why they all looked. Yeah, I feel like it was signaling that, whoa, it would not be okay for them to be sleeping together. That's like not okay. You know, you're right. That would be too far. I also felt more uncomfortable with the age gap this this episode for some reason. But where did you see the age gap being a little more gnarly? Actually, you know what? Here's this can head into the dislikes if we're okay with that. Let's go. Yep. Okay. First, I saw the age gap at the beginning of the episode. Buffy goes to Angel to check on him and they start making out because like they're in love (laughs) and she's like, I have to go to school (laughs) And it's just reminded me like, yeah, literally Buffy is on her way to high school. Okay. Like Buffy has to leave because she's going to high school, you know? Yeah. She has to go to school at like seven in the morning because she's in high school. (laughs) And because she is a child. (laughs) Yeah. And like, it also felt like, oh, so we're supposed to, because she is her 17th birthday. She's like older. So it's like, is that more okay now? I don't know. Maybe it is, but like, it feels like a pretty tenuous like reason that it would be okay for them to have sex. Oftentimes, I think I'm I'm feeling more comfortable with the age gap because Buffy is often like checking Angel. Like that's the dynamic sometimes. But like this episode, Angel was the one saving Buffy. He saved. Um, yeah. Why did he jump? In? Like, why did he jump can in Buffy after not swim? She's from California. He was like Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was like, dude, she like focus on the real problem. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah. And then when they were captured by the judge, he's he was the one that like Buffy did kick the judge away. She kicked the judge away, but that wouldn't have been like a long term solution. Like, yeah. He was the one. Yeah. It was like a, she was involved for sure, but it felt just sort of. It felt like a check mark, like, oh, she kicked. And then he was the one who was actually the instrumental person in like stopping the judge in that moment. And then this is also happening right after he saved her from the Order of Taraka guy a couple episodes ago. So. I guess the question is, do we deem their relationship more equal based on like who's... No, you're right. I do think you touched on a really important point that this episode, Buffy seems to have become more passive. And it's almost like the episode is falling into this cliche of, okay, well, if they're going to have sex and she's... Um, well, she's a woman, so so she can't really ask for it. Otherwise, she'd be a slut. So let's like build in these patterns of other things to lead up to it, right? It just feels like it went away from Buffy being the actor and the instigator and... Yeah. Right? And like the agent to, okay, well, now she's going to be the love object? I don't know. Maybe it will be too critical, but I did see this. I think it's there. I don't know. I think it's there, too. It's almost like Josh Whedon is maybe Josh, yeah. Josh is maybe a, like misogynist. I don't know. Just fit and on. <laughs> advice. Should we give our characters some advice? Let's do it. Do you have any advice, Kata? Okay, so 
my advice is to Jenny this episode. She's sitting on this knowledge of what it will take for Angel to lose his soul again and doesn't say anything about any of it. And I get that she's kind of like an undercover, making sure Angel stays miserable forever type agent. But I just feel like a lot of suffering could have been averted if she was like, sat them down, said, hey, guys, I'm very happy that you're happy. But like, you know, this is where the line might be. You know, I think that would have been useful. Angel might still be sold. (laughs) S-O-U-L-E-D. Madeline, any advice? My advice is to the whole gang to put their minds together when they get this arm of the judge and like the only solution is to take it to a far off land namely Nepal (laughs) via like convoluted travel routes I'm wondering if we can't maybe try to cut the arm up into further pieces I know there's this thing that says like no weapon forged can kill the judge but obviously it was it was cut into these like five pieces you have the arms the you know, I mean I don't know how many pieces but yeah, yeah, it yeah. was it was disassembled to an extent and I'm wondering like why can we not disassemble it further in such a way that makes it really mail the pieces you know like <laughs> cut it up into several pieces mail them far away this was the t- age before tracking numbers yeah cut it into really small pieces flush it down the toilet flush them down different toilets i'm just saying there were solutions that didn't involve angel leaving for months and months just looking for a little creativity in the solution department from the gang here let's send angel on a month-long carrier months long she was like it could be six months a year before i see you again and everyone was like yeah that's the only way Thank you for listening to this episode of That Slayer Show. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or concerns, send us an email at thatslayershow at gmail.com. And follow us on Instagram at That Slayer Show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the same name. Thank you to the artful Holly Colvin for the cover art. And this podcast was inspired by Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for Season 2, Episode 14, Innocence. Through the theme of shame. Bye. Bye.